It's very good to be here this morning. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you this morning. And it's my prayer as well that the things that I have to say will help us in our day-to-day lives. It'll help us to be better Christians. It'll draw us closer to God. And it'll draw us closer to our purpose here on this earth. We're going to begin with Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5. It reads, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and all thy ways acknowledge him. Is that what you're doing with your life today? Is it evident in your life today that you're trusting God with all your heart? with all your decisions? Do you acknowledge Him with your actions, with your lifestyle, with who you are? It warns us here in Proverbs not to lean on our own understanding. There's a division. Are you going to go your way? Or are you going to go God's way? You know, these are some very simple verses from the Old Testament here for us to consider this morning. What do they mean? And more importantly, how do we apply them to our lives? You know, the Bible plainly draws a division here, a line in the sand. Are you going to be on God's side or are you going to be on man's side? Mark, could you make my notes a little bigger? So we see here, the warning is, is not to lean on thine own understanding. We have a, we have a loving God. God knows we need direction. He knows we have needs. Excuse me, I got off a little bit. God knows we need direction. God knows we have needs. He's faithful. He provides for us. He provides us with direction. He is caring and all-encompassing. So the question is, is why should we not seek after man's wisdom? That's the warning here, is not to trust after man. It's because our heart is easily deceived. We're full of emotion, which is good. Emotions are good. I don't want you to think I'm standing here beating up emotions. We need emotions. But they're easily manipulated if we don't keep them in check. And we don't always see the big picture. When it's affecting us, sometimes it's cloudy. And we don't see everything's going on. We don't see all the viewpoints. And most importantly, we don't see God. And it's easy for us to be deceived. It's always been man's inclination to be trendy or to be different. You know, we like to think that things are worse now than they've ever been. But I I believe it's just the same old evil world since the beginning. The Bible shows us time after time that man drifts away from God 
he drifts towards evil every time he turns his back on God. The challenges we face today come in different packages. They may be called different things, but they are all still a distraction. There's something that causes division. They get between us and God. And it's been that way ever since the garden. So I ask you this morning, whose counsel are you going to use to make your decisions in your life? Whose counsel are you going to use to shape your, your life around? Are you going to use God's or man's? Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 13, reads, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof of fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is, her, is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of plentiness, and her paths are of peace. And she is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. And happy is everyone that retaineth her. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Happy is the man that findeth godly wisdom. We see here in this verse, these verses that godly wisdom is priceless. You can't put a value on what that's worth. How often can we see that in our lives? When we follow after God and we do what's right, and we see that it's priceless. We can't put a value on what our family is worth to us today when they're faithful, when they follow after us and they're faithful. You can't put a value on that. It's worth everything you own and more. Godly wisdom is priceless. Godly wisdom leads us to peace. It leads us to comfort, and it leads us to contentment. But when, God go, when man go their own way, when they leave God out of it, when they know better than God, they end up lost and broken and alone. And we see that over and over and over again, don't we? When a man wants to go his own way, it might be fine for a while, but what does he leave behind? He leaves behind a trail of destruction and heartache and tears and pain and not contentment. They end up lost and alone. Without God's guidance, that emotion comes back in. And man's own thoughts come back in. And we get caught up in trends we get up, caught up in political correctness. We get caught up in lies and emotion. And we're bounced all over the place like ping pong balls. There's no direction. It's just crazy. I stand here before you this morning and I tell you, God never lies. He never changes. And He knows all. He knows what's best for you and what's best for me. I encourage you to put your trust into Him. Romans 12 and verse 2 reads, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as a good as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. It says, be not, trans be not conformed, but be ye transformed. Don't let the world shape you. Let God shape you. So how are we to be different? How are we to be transformed? By thinking differently than the world around us. By trusting in God. By looking to His wisdom. Looking for His guidance. By trusting in God. Not man's wisdom. Not our own wisdom. Not what we think is best what God thinks is best. Proverbs 3 and verse 6 reads, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He wants to show you the way. He's trying to show you the way. He is showing you the way. You have to follow it. You have to make that choice. Let him show you the way. So, Here's the challenge. It's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you. It's a challenge for all of us. It's to stay focused on God. He's the target. He's the mark. That's the goal. Heaven. To stay focused on God and not let our worldly pursuits get in the way. I'm going to sum that up with contentment. That we must find contentment if we're going to stay focused. If we're going to keep heaven as our goal, we have to learn to be content. So what do I mean by contentment? Matthew 11 and verse 28 reads, Come unto me, all the you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest Romans 15 and 4 reads for whatsoever things were written before were written for your learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope Revelations 2 and 10 be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life Corinthians 12 9 and 10 and he said unto me my grace is sufficient for thee my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of a Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities, in persecutions and distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. He says when he is weak, he is then strong. Matthew said he'd give us rest. Romans said patient and comfort and hope. I'll give you a crown of life. Contentment is about peace. It's about realizing that our home is not here. It's a home in heaven. And that God offers rest and peace and comfort and hope for us if we're willing to look for it. 
Contentment is an inner sense of rest or peace that comes from being right with God and knowing that heaven is our goal. It means having our focus on the kingdom of God and serving Him and not seeking after the flesh, to fulfill the flesh. You know, this world we live in is loud, it's aggressive, it's confusing, it's noisy. We're being bombarded daily, every minute of the day, by something. And it distracts us. And it's loud. And it causes us to be foggy, and we can't see, and sometimes we don't know which direction's up. The devil wants you not content. All that noise coming in, it distracts us. And we might be focused for a minute, and then it knocks us off course. When we're not content, we are distracted, we're confused, and we're preoccupied. We are not at peace. And when we are not at peace, we are not focused on God. We are not being productive. Discontentment affects our relationships. It affects your relationship with your spouse, with your children, with your church, with your job, with your community, with your God. It causes doubts where there shouldn't be doubts. It causes fears where there shouldn't be fears. And it causes insecurities. It weakens us. How often do we recall seeing a strong Christian and then just the world just, just, just hammered them down, hammered them down, and hammered them down. And it weakened them. And it crippled them. And they lost focus. And they might no longer be here again today. It broke them. And it'll break us if we're not careful. If we allow it to creep into our lives, to get a stronghold, and to build, it'll cripple us, and it'll break us, and it'll destroy us. But when we have a Christ-centered life, we are not constantly in turmoil. I didn't say we wouldn't have problems. I said we're not constantly in turmoil. We can find peace during the struggles and the setbacks and the trials because God is on our side. The key to being content is to focus on God. It's allow Him to make us complete. So how do we acquire contentment? You know, the world goes about the search for contentment in all the wrong ways. I believe it's been said up here before that no matter how much means we have, we live on all of them. It's true. It takes a lot of money just to live. And all too often we live on all of it. You know, contentment is somewhat of an ironic concept. 
in our culture today. Everyone is seeking that one big thing that will make them content. Most people think they're one acquisition or one life change away from being just perfect. I'm just going to be happy as I can be if I can get this one thing. You ever thought about the irony of that? That if you're seeking after that one thing, and you're seeking after something over and over again, you're never really content. In a physical sense, we strive after what we think will make us happy, only to realize that didn't work. In fact, we were happier before it started out. So then we go into debt to live a little better than we should, and we suffer anxiety because the bills are stacking up. So now we need something new to distract us because of all the stress, right? Now we have less time, less money, and we're less happy. I propose to you this morning that people have a hole in them. Everybody has a hole in them. We all know these people. Someone who cannot find fulfillment in their lives. Someone who has lost hope. Someone who lives in disappointment and negativity all the time. They're incomplete. They're not whole. Something is missing from their lives. We have a choice as to how we're going to fill that hole in us. You know, man's wisdom is to fill it with more stuff. Not just money, stuff. You know, if we had a better job, if we had a better marriage, if we had a better family, a better home, a better car, we took better vacations, whatever it was, if we had something better, I could feel that hole. I could feel what's missing in my life. Then I'd be content. It's a long list there. I left out plenty, I'm sure. What else did I leave out? How about a better relationship with God? What if we tried to fill that hole in us with a better relationship with God? Matthew 12, verse 43 reads, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through the dry place seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he said, I will return unto my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. That hole inside us must be filled. This man in the scripture here in Matthew, he made an effort to remove the sin from his life. But he wasn't fully committed filling it back with God. And he left room for the world <coughs> in his life. And it says the devil come back. If we kept reading there, it'd say that the state of this man was worse than it was at the beginning. We can fill that hole in us with godliness or the devil will fill it for us. Have you ever thought about what the world has to offer you? You know, it's about marketing and, and packaging. And it's marketed well and it's packaged pretty. 
It is shiny, and it is pretty. But it's like an empty box on Christmas morning. It might be pretty sitting there underneath the tree and to be desired, but once we have it and we have it open, and we see that it's empty and it's not fulfilling, we're empty again. And thus begins the cycle of wanting, getting, and wanting more, and never satisfied. How can a world full of evil and emptiness ever fill us up? We will never find contentment in the world. We will never find what makes us whole in the world. In Ecclesiastes 1 and 14, it says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity and vexation of the Spirit. Solomon tried. I guess he comes as close as any man on this earth ever has to having it all. He tried it all, seen it all, and he called it vanity. It didn't fill the hole that was in him when he walked away from God. When he turned his back on God, it didn't fill the hole that he had in his life. John 4, 4 and 14 reads, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You want to be filled? You want to fill that hole in you, that void, that itch that you have that you can't scratch? Fill it with Jesus. Fill it through study. Fill it through drawing closer to Christ, to being a servant, to obeying His will. It talks about a well there that springs up and overflows. No matter how big the hole is in you, it'll fill it, and it'll overflow it. You won't be able to hold it all. God has satisfaction for us, and we have hope. People are looking to fill that void I spoke of. <clears throat> Ultimately, I believe, because they have no hope of a home in heaven. They have no hope of eternal life. They live as if they believe that this earth is it, and once they're gone here, there's nothing else. That's the way their actions are. They're not making any plans for anything else. A Christian has hope. We have a hope of a home in heaven. That should give you peace. That should give you comfort. You should take comfort in your hope of salvation. Christians have Christ to fill the void. So I encourage you this morning, do not be satisfied with your relationship with God. Do not be satisfied with your relationship with Christ. Do not be satisfied with the Christian you are today. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5 reads, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be re reprobates. 
I do not believe that contentment means complacency. As Christians, we work to better our circumstances as we have opportunities. The Bible commends us for hard work, for dedication, uh, and the rewards that come from it. There's verses about providing for your family, providing for those in need. We're going to take a collection in a minute. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with bettering yourself. What I'm talking about is the whole that is in people. Not about daily necessities. About what drives you. Not about the circumstances around you. And don't confuse the two this morning. Because I believe those are two separate things. I want to focus on relying on God's wisdom for direction and for purpose. Don't be satisfied with your relationship with God. Look ever to improve it. How often do we look around and gauge our spirituality by those around us? Luke spoke Wednesday night about the dangers of comparing ourselves to others, and he was spot on with that. 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 reads, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. We can't look around and judge how good of a Christian we are by the person on the pew beside us. The person on the pew beside us is not the standard. They are not the judge. Let's use Jesus as the standard. Let's use God as our instructor. And let's rely on God's wisdom for direction and purpose. I said before that God provides for us. God has provided a way for us to find contentment. We're going to spend a lot of time here in Philippians 4 the rest of this lesson. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, thank on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the, la that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content." I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. In verse 9 there it says, And the God of peace shall be with you. Once again, don't let this world get between your relationship with God. Matthew 6 and 21 reads, For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. 
Verse 20 reads, But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, for neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. Where our treasure is, is where our mind will be. Where our treasure is, is where our, our heart will be. That's where our actions will be. Where our mind is, is where we're going to end up in eternity. Your thoughts will either lead you to Jesus, or they'll lead you away from Jesus. And I'm going to stand here this morning and tell you that your thoughts are going to lead you to Jesus. And if you go to Jesus, you're going to lead your children to Jesus. And if your thoughts lead you away from Jesus, they're going to lead your children away from Jesus. It's serious. We have to be careful. We have to make an effort. So I've picked out three things here out of those verses in Philippians 4 and 9. We must be proactive. We must focus on the spiritual. And we must live it. It must be real. So contentment comes from focusing on the Lord's will for us and not our own desires. It must be grown with purpose and trust. We must choose to be a servant. We have to choose to submit. He's not going to make us. We have to make that choice. It has to be conscience. You know, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, and he closes here with, Finally, brethren, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. He's telling them that if, if you'll act the way that I act, if you'll put Christ first in your life, if you'll have your priorities right, you'll be free from anxiety. You'll learn how to be at peace. You'll learn how to focus on what you need to be focused on. Contentment cannot be achieved if we are not setting our minds on the lovely, on the pure, on the commendable, and the praiseworthy things of Christ. If we're letting the world and all that noise and all that distraction come in on us, and we're not blocking it out, we're going to lose focus. When our eyes are on the physical, then we're going to try to satisfy the physical. But when our eyes are on the spiritual, we're going to stay focused on the spiritual. We're going to stay focused on the prize. We'll stay focused on the goal. When our eyes are focused on the spiritual, we have perspective. We remember that the trials here are hard, but we have a home waiting for us in heaven. We have hope. 1 Timothy 6 and 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall in temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows.
But thou, man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Do you see the contrast? The man that follows after godly wisdom drowns in perdition. He's consumed. It's a whirlwind. They have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They're broken. They're hurting. Our focus should be on the Savior and doing what He has called us to do. Verse 7 there said, We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Once we learn to put the spiritual before the physical, we can learn to grow spiritually. Second, we must focus on the spiritual. The blessings that were talked about there in verse 8. True, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. It's a mindset. You have to choose to block that noise out and to look at the good. Are the true, the pure, and the just things what you're thinking on today? Is that what you focus on in the trials? Is that what you focus on in the good times? 1 John 2 and 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. All those distractions, that's the devil. And he is loud and persistent. We need to stay focused on the spiritual. Proverbs 25 and 28, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. We cannot be productive if we're an emotional wreck all the time. If we're bounced around like a ping pong ball and we have no direction, we are not going to be productive. Isaiah 40 and 29 reads, He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increaseth strength. Christ and his word are powerful. Christ has the power to strengthen you. Learn to trust Him. Learn to trust Christ. And you will know His contentment. If you submit, you will know His peace. And you will find hope. And you will find direction. And you will find your path. Galatians 5 and verse 22 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Look at the qualities of the godly person described throughout the New Testament. And you'll find a productive, emotionally stable Christian. When we try to put our priorities both in the spiritual and the physical the spiritual will always suffer. What happens when we put our trust in the physical and it becomes corrupted and we lose our health, we lose our wealth, we lose our 
It wasn't really ever ours, was it? If you can lose it, it's not yours. It's an empty box. And when we lose it, and we put our trust in it, we're wrecked. It crushes us, and we seem as if we have no hope, because there is no hope if you don't have God. Contentment is an attitude, and it starts in your mind, and you have to choose to start being content. You have to focus on that. To cultivate contentment, you've got to guard your mind and constantly work at developing a biblical view of life, of material possessions, and of eternity. And we have to avoid comparing ourselves to others. And we have to recognize that Jesus is the standard. Psalms 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These words were written by a man at peace. A man that was focused on God. And they can be written by me and you today if we'll turn our lives over to God. We can have that peace, that comfort. Finally, we must live it. We must take action. Paul wrote, In whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. How is it possible for him to be content? He talks about being hungry and being filled about having needs and being satisfied. How is it possible to be even killed through all of that? If we have a Christ-focused life, we'll let loose of the steering wheel, so to speak. You know, one of the great challenges in the spiritual over the physical is the craving to control our environment the desire to determine the results of our actions. Many of us are natural, have a natural inclination to be manipulators, to be owners, to be controllers. The more we seek to rule our own world, the more we'll resist Christ's rule. Until we relinquish ownership of our lives, we will not experience relief. But if we learn to put our trust in God as Paul did, we can learn to know contentment. 1 Peter 1 and 24, For all the flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. And the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. Life is very, very temporal. 
We're going to be here a short time and we're going to be gone. We may be something right now. In a hundred years, nobody will remember your name, maybe. Once we put things in perspective, once we realize we really don't own anything, once we realize we're just passing through, it's easy to put the spiritual first. We're going to spend a very short time here on earth. We're going to spend eternity in one of two places. Put the spiritual first. 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. Therefore I take pleasures and infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul looked to heaven. He looked to God. And he didn't focus on his trials. He asked that they be removed. And I'm sure he felt pain. I know he did. He talked about it. But he didn't let it stop him. He didn't let it hinder him. He didn't let it cripple him. And he didn't let it break him. When we look to God, and we... We follow his direction, and we learn to block out the noise around us. We become profitable servants again. Man will always drift away from God if he is not Christ-focused. He has done it since the garden. We are not going to be, in conclusion, we are not going to be content if we set our minds on worldly things, on sinful things on material things. Satisfaction will only be found in Christ. Christ is the only way we're going to fill that hole in us. It's only when we put Christ first that we can truly be content. As I close this morning, I'd like for you to think about your own lives. Think about all the worldly things you've tried to fill that void in your life with. And it's still empty. And you still have that scratch. And you're still not complete. I ask you this morning, you've tried all those other things. Why not try Jesus? Why not let Jesus fill you? Why not let Jesus complete you? Make you whole. And make you a part. It's the only way we'll be whole is if we rely on Jesus. That's the key to commitment, to be all in for Christ. This is all I've prepared this morning. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. If there be one that be subject to it, we'll ask you to come forward as we sing this song.